0: If you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip in them to the book of Proverbs. We're going to kind of pick up where we left off last week. We're spending two weeks in Proverbs. But um, before we start in Proverbs, I want to quote Mark, what he wrote in his gospel. In Mark chapter 3, verse 14, here's what Mark says. Mark says, he, meaning Jesus, appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. So here we see that Jesus himself needed friends. He trained the disciples to preach in his absence, but Mark also says that he appointed them so that they might be with him. As a person, Jesus needed interaction and companionship with other human beings. In fact, there's a couple of stories that show this very powerfully. Remember the time Jesus said to Peter, James, and John, Hey guys, come with me up this mountain. They reached the top of the mountain, and all of a sudden, there's Jesus. His clothes turned to bright white, his face shone with the glory of God. Jesus wanted his friends to be there with him during that highlight, that moment of exhilaration in his ministry. And in the same way, we read toward the end of the Gospels that while Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, a, a very painful time for him, a very stressful time for him, He also surrounded himself with his intimate friends, and he says, guys, stay with me and pray and keep watch, because my soul is sorrowful even to the point of death. So Jesus wanted his friends to be there with him as well in that time of great sorrow, not just in times of exhilaration, but in times of sorrow. So if Jesus, God in the flesh, if he needed friends then how much more do we need, friends, right? This is why I'm convinced why we read this one phrase over and over and over and over and over again in the New Testament, and that phrase is one another. Because the New Testament assumes that the people of God are going to be mingling their lives with others, right? So we read verses like accept one another, greet one another, serve one another, Encourage one another, admonish one another, spur one another on to love and good deeds. There's all these one another's just peppered all across the New Testament. So obviously, the Christian life was not meant to be lived in isolation, but in togetherness. And that's why we're taking a whole month and we're focusing on the topic of friendship. And we're trying to be biblically wise about the kind of friends that we are and biblically wise about the kind of friends that we seek. So we've been going to the wisest part of Scripture known as the wisdom literature, Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes to try to figure out what's the perfect friendship mix look like. And last week, we looked at those things that characterize faithful friends that faithful friends are loyal during times of adversity. They rejoice with you in times of victory. They speak the truth in love, and they sometimes wound you with your words for your betterment. And lastly, we saw that faithful friends are trustworthy. They can keep a confidence. They have your best interest at stake. Now today, we're going to look at kind of the uglier side of friendship, maybe more of the painful side Of friendship, and I think these are friendships that we've all experienced. And let me just say, from the get-go, just as a matter of transparency, that I have been every one of these ugly characteristics of a friend. At some point in my life, I could point back to and say, "Yep, yep, that was me." Thankfully, though, I can say it's not become a pattern that I've been wise enough and prudent enough to catch myself or have others speak into my life to say, hey, you might want to work on this, okay? So I'm not calling out anything today that I myself have not struggled with, at least at some time in my past. With that being said, the book of Proverbs, hear this, in chapter 1, from the get-go, here's what Solomon says, everything I'm writing is going to prove very, very beneficial as you instruct your children. And here's what I love about Proverbs. Proverbs uses these really neat everyday life word pictures saying, this is like this, and it points a concept to a reality that we can understand, all right? So parents, listen, teach your children the kinds of things we're going to be talking about today, okay? Teach them about the right friends to have, friends that aren't users, and teach them to be the kind of right friend, not to be a friend who just uses other people, Because here's what I understand, and I'm sure the rest of you parents do as well. These years of your children, especially the middle school years, especially the high school years, are so formative in who they will become as adults. So who they run with, who they take advice from, who they counsel with, whose homes they spend the night at. All these things play a factor into the kind of of adult that these children will become. Will they be wise? Will they be foolish? Will they make good decisions? Will they make bad decisions? And having them surrounding them with good, wise, godly friendships is going to be an invaluable resource for them to grow and develop with. Because as we already heard, bad company corrupts good character. Bad friends lead to bad advice that leads to bad decisions and bad behavior, right? So we want to make sure we're giving our kids the best possible start. Just like last week, on the way home from last week's sermon, Seth was riding home with me, I just drilled him about everything that we talked about because I want to make sure that he gets it, all right? So, just a little word of warning here, too. When it comes to a a sermon about friendship, we think that that's going to be happy and fun and hee-hee-ha-ha and a lot of good things. And while that can be true, today, you're going to hear some of the hard stuff. And if I don't tell you these things, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be naive, and you're going to make friends with people and spend a lot of time and energy on somebody that you probably shouldn't because it's going it's to hurt in the end, okay? So we're going to talk about three different kinds of friendship categories and uh, what characterizes these kinds of people in each category. Now, the first that we're going to talk about is false friends. False friends. Proverbs exposes the character traits of false friends. And sadly, and some of you know this from experience, sometimes false friends double as your blood relatives. There are actually people in the circle of your family who end up being a false friend. And the fact is, That one of the things that characterizes a false friend is that they can tend to be very, very selfish. Have you ever noticed that person who it's always about them? Solomon talks about this in Proverbs 18.1. Unfriendly people care only about themselves. They lash out at common sense. Listen to this. Fools have no interest in understanding. In other words, they don't want to hear what you say. They only want their own, they only want to air their own opinion. You ever have a friend like that? It's always about their plan, their agenda, their idea, their opinion. That's all that matters. And they want you to fall in line with their plan. And if you don't, they get mad because their friendship is more about control more than it is being mutually beneficial. They're just selfish. Selfish. So here's the question to ask yourself. As you're, as you're really evaluating your friendships in your life, just kind of go through the top ten friends or top five friends you have in your life and ask this one question. Is there reciprocity? Meaning, am I getting out of this friendship in the same measure that I'm giving? I give to them, do they give to me? I serve them, do they serve me? I pour into them, are they pouring back into me? Listen... If there is not reciprocity, if you're not getting something back out of this, that is not a friend. That is what we call a parasite, okay? That's just someone leeching and blood-sucking off you so that they get something out of it, but they're not really interested in giving out of that. And there's a reason why selfish people tend to be alone a lot, because they just alienate people and they repel people because people have been burned by them, okay? Here's another thing that false friends do. They'll exploit you. They'll get out of you what they need, and then they will drop you. And Solomon speaks about this a couple different times. Proverbs 19.4. Listen to this. Wealth attracts many friends, but even the closest friend of the poor person deserts them. We've seen this play out, right? Right? Just as you watch news clips on TV, you see like the professional athletes and you see the Hollywood elite, you see the rich and the wealthy, you see those people who are rising politically, and oftentimes what they have following them is this big entourage of people. Because just like Solomon says, the more money you have, the more people want to be your friends. Maybe some of you have been in a relationship before, and as you look back on that relationship, you saw sometimes, most of the times, it was probably too late, that that person was only interested in getting something from you financially, materially, maybe socially. They wanted to get close to you so they could get close to your friend group. Maybe politically they wanted something from you. They wanted a favor because you knew key people in certain places, so they got close. Or maybe even something sexually they wanted from you. There are some people who are just professionals at exploiting friendships. And they're not loving you. They're just using you to get something. Money, service, a job, something that they need. Here's how Solomon says it again in Proverbs 19.6. Many curry favor with a ruler, and everyone is a friend of the one who gives gifts. Some of you in here, you know what you have? You have the gift of giving. You have the gift of generosity. You love serving people. You love helping people. It's just in your nature. You just constantly want to be a conduit to bless somebody. And that's a beautiful, beautiful trait. But here's what Solomon warns us. Look out for those people who might simply befriend you just so they can abuse your generosity that they are going to be freeloaders, right? They're those people who are going to pretend to be your friend just because they're hoping that in the end, you're going to deliver something to them. And they'll take anything. They'll take food, they'll take service, they'll take your money, they'll take a job, what they'll even do sometimes, they'll even shirk their responsibilities off on you because they know you're a good guy and you'll help anybody and everybody knows that you'd do this for me, so I'm asking you to do this. And because you're a guy that can't say no because you're a person who always wants to be generous, oftentimes you cave. And you end up doing something that they should be doing. And they'll flatter you, and they'll butter you up, and they'll tell you whatever you want to hear just so they can abuse that friendship and get something out of it. So here's the key. The key is not to be less giving. The key is not to be less generous. The key is simply to be more discerning in your friendships when i was a student at bible college there was a guy i met like the first or second day of my freshman year just a super super guy a heart about this big would do anything for anybody here's the truth you couldn't go anywhere with him without like if i was with him out somewhere and we were at the mall be like man that looks really neat i like that first thing he'd say is you want me to buy it for you and he was completely legit. You couldn't point out anything, say anything, where he wasn't wanting to do it for you, buy it for you, lend it to you, do something. He just had that kind of a heart, and you know what? It didn't take too long for some people around him to sniff that out, and you know what they did? They let him buy him stuff. They would always ask to use his car, because they know he would never say no, and then one time, He happened to be in the bathroom at the same time these two guys were and they heard him over talking about what a pushover he was and how they could get anything from him and all they had to do was ask and it took that big heart and it crushed it. I remember him coming to my room talking to me about it and he was broken because his generosity, his service, his helpfulness just got exploited. And you know what? Thankfully he was Not any less generous after that, but he was a whole lot more discerning. And sometimes it takes getting burned like that before you learn that lesson. So there's false friends. You know what other kind of friends there are? There are sinful friends. Sinful friends. Let's talk about these. There's the gossip. Proverbs 16, 28. A perverse person stirs up conflict. And the gossip separates close friends. Have you ever had a friend that just loves to live in drama? They just love to take the big old stick and stir the pot. One of the ways they do that, Solomon says, is through the conduit of gossip. The Bible has a word that it uses for these people. It calls them whisperers. It's those people who are... People are always closed mouth to somebody's ear like that. We have a word for them in our day and time. They're called busybodies. They're just always seeking out information. They're tagging all over your social media accounts, looking for what's new going on with you. You know, every time you talk to them on the phone, they're like, hey, what's up? What's new? What's going on? How's life? And they just pummel you with all these questions, not necessarily because they care, but because they are experts in taking information and shifting it from one person to another so here's a word to the wise be very 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 careful about listening to somebody who is gossiping because here's what i assure you when they're not with you and in the company of others guess what they're doing they're gossiping about you some of you have had those people in your social network they're just a lightning rod right of drama You innocently tell them something, they spin it, tweak it a little bit, they tell somebody else, feelings get hurt, it gets shared again, tweaked a little bit more, and by the end of the day, seven people are mad at you, and nobody even knows where it all began, right? And you try to go back to the source, and they're like, I don't know what happened, you know? They just lit the match and threw it, and they don't know how the forest fire got started, right? How'd that happen? So it's the gossiping friend. Be very, very, very careful around people like that. There's also the unforgiving friend. The unforgiving friend. Proverbs 17 9 says it this way Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Listen to how the New Living Translation states this Love prospers when a fault is forgiven when we can bury it, when we can leave it in the past, and we don't bring it up anymore, right? But dwelling on it separates close friends. Here's what Solomon's saying. In your friendships, I don't care who you are, because we're all equally sinners, we are going to do say things, and we're going to say things to one another that's going to hurt one another. And sometimes, because we love a friend, we have to give them a mulligan. We have to give them a hall pass on that, right? And say, you know what? Considering what it is, this isn't worth going toe to toe. It's not a battle that I'm worth fighting right now. Because here's what Paul says. Love keeps no records of wrong. you got to let bygones try to be bygones as much as you can. So a good friend is one who is there even If you've hurt them, they are still going to be there for you. A sinful friend keeps a logbook. They nurse a grudge, right? They never forget. You think something's long gone, you buried it a long time ago, and they're always walking around with the shovel, right? Man, I was sick, and you never called me. What kind of friend are you? Remember that three years ago, I was sick and you never called? What, What kind of friend are you? You know, you were 15 minutes late, and you didn't even apologize. How could you do that? Didn't you hear that my kid won the contest, and you never congratulated me? You had to have known. What kind of friend doesn't congratulate another friend when his kid does something good? Or you you didn't stand up for me when you were in the company of other people. When they were saying stuff, you never stood up for me. Or I've been talking to you for 10 minutes, and I got a new do, and you haven't even noticed my new do, right? What kind, of, what kind of friend does that? It's that kind of friend that just keeps the logbook, brings stuff up. They, they harp unrelentingly on stuff. So listen, if you don't want any friends, you just continue to do that. You keep harping on things of the past. You keep score. You demand apologies over and over and over and over, and people will avoid you like the plague, all right? So don't be the unforgiving friend. Let's move on now to the last category. Painful friends. Painful friends. Proverbs 25, 17. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house. I love this. Too much of you and they will hate you. Okay? You know what this is talking about here? The clingy friend. How many of you ever had the clingy friend before? Nobody? Okay, we've got some people who have the clingy friend, right? The clingy friend, they have a dream. Their dream is to, to at least someday have you wearing matching sweatshirts and riding a tandem bike together, right? That's what they want. They just always want to be there. They're always at your doorstep. They're always calling. They're always texting, right? They're just always, always there. You look up, and there they are. You've seen that movie, What About Bob? Yeah, That's the lesson to learn from the clingy friend, right? So these people, they have great spirits, great hearts, good intentions. They're like a golden retriever dog, right? They've always got the stick in the mouth, their tail's wagging. They're always wanting to play. But you know what? They can drive you crazy because they're just a little bit too much, right? I can't be with you every day. I can't answer 50 texts in a day. And you got to give me more than five minutes to return your phone call. It's just too much, right? And Solomon says here, too much of you, and they will hate you, right? Was it Mark Twain, I think, who said that house guests are like fish and that both of them begin to stink after three days? Isn't that what he said? And that's kind of what Solomon is saying. Know your limits, know your boundaries, don't don't be there all the time, always calling, always texting, always there. Just give people some space and some room, okay? Okay? Now, sometimes these same people, the clingy friend, can sometimes uh, be painful because here's what they demand. Total allegiance. They want you to be their friend and their friend only. You dare not tell them that you ever went out with somebody else or that you and your spouse went on a date with another couple besides them because they want to be your friend exclusively. So listen, if you've got friends... They get irritated, mad, they pout, they sulk. When you tell them that you went out with somebody else, that is a very, very unhealthy dependency, okay? You know how I know that? I've watched some Lifetime movies, right? And you know, that's what a lot of times the theme is. An obsessive friend who gets a gun and somebody dies, and it's not the obsessive friend, right? It's their victim. So, watch your parameters. A good friend will still feel safe and secure in your friendship, and they'll encourage you to explore your friendship boundaries, and they'll know their own boundaries to keep with you, okay? Here's another kind of friend that's painful. The unreliable friend. Listen to what Solomon says in Proverbs twenty-five, nineteen. Like a broken tooth. Here again, here's the life picture he's pointing to. Like a broken tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in a time of trouble. You ever have that friend that you can just never depend on? Every time you call them, every time you have a need, they're too busy, they can't help, they've got something else to do, another priority, and you're never the priority. You know what Solomon says? He says, having somebody like that who calls himself a friend in your life is like having one of your teeth that are broken and trying to chew food. That tooth is not reliable. It's like having a foot that when you really need it, it slips, and it, it's not reliable. It doesn't get you where you need to go. That's the picture that Solomon's painting here. So, when there's a crisis that comes, when there's a real big need in your life, and you pick up the phone, here's the question. Who are you going to call? Who's the person who you know when you pick up the phone and you say, I have a need, they say, I'm there. And who's the person who says, I can't, I won't, I don't feel like it, call me some other time, I'm busy, you know. And and that's not to say that your friends are always going to be able to help you with everything, but they're there to help you more than they're not. And here's the question to ask. If every time you call your friend and you have a need, and they never respond to that need, here's the question, the painful question you have to ask yourself are they really my my friend right they might want the respect of a friend they might want you to give them the love of a friend they might want the privilege to you as a friend and access to you as a friend but if they're not willing to pony up when you have needs if they're denying that they're not a friend biblically and sometimes that's a hard admission to make here's the last kind of painful friend One who is insensitive, an insensitive friend. Some of you may have experienced this before. Proverbs 25, 20. Here again, another life picture. Singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking someone's coat in the cold weather or pouring vinegar in a wound. So a good friend is sensitive to your mood. A good friend doesn't say, hey, I'm happy, so if you're going to be around me, you got to be happy. I don't want you bringing me down. So if you're down, you just stay home. Or you know what? I'm feeling sad, so if you come here, I don't want to hear you all chipper. you got to be melancholy with me today because that's how I'm feeling. So unless you're feeling that way, don't come around. A good friend adjusts themselves to the emotional state. They try to empathize. They try to sympathize because sometimes what we need when we're crying is we need a friend who comes along And just cries with us. They don't have to do anything, say anything. They just shed a few tears. What we don't need is someone to try to completely change the mood, right? That's why scripture says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Have you ever had that friend who's Mr. Optimistic, always cheerful, always, you know, always whistling, always singing? Sun's always shining, it's never dark, right? Sometimes a friend like that, they're good in some situations, but like Solomon says, they can be painful in other situations. It's like this, he says, that when you're shivering cold and you need warmth, when that person comes along, it's like they just took the coat right off of you. When you need someone to empathize and sympathize with you because you're hurting and you got this big gaping wound, and they should be trying to heal it and put some salve on it. They come along and pour vinegar on it. That's what their spirit does to you when you're down like this. And here's what I've noticed. We as Christians, I've been guilty of this before. You come across somebody who's hurting, who's in pain, and even though you've got good intentions and good motives, when you show up, here's what you bring. You bring Bible verses that you quote out of context, right? Right? someone says man life's rough you know i've I've got this diagnosis or a good friend just died you're like hey praise god in all situations that's what it says brother hey you remember what the bible says consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kind right you ever have somebody try to do that you know what your response is you just want to choke them right that's what you want to do that's what your biblical response is right just to choke them because that's not what we need in that time. We just need somebody to kind of get down with us and encourage us sometimes through our tears and through our sadness. And if they're happy about something and we're feeling glum, we try to rise up and try to celebrate with them and what they're happy about. And here's a perfect example of how we see this played out in Scripture. You look to Jesus. Do you remember Jesus had a day we read in John's Gospel? where he was called by Mary and Martha to come to a situation that was really urgent. You remember what it involved? The death of their brother Lazarus. And Jesus really didn't get there in a big hurry, but he finally got there. Problem was, it was too late. By the time Jesus shows up, there's crying and there's weeping and there's mourning going around. It's just a, it's a scene of sadness And rightly so, because that's how we respond when when there's death. And do you remember what Jesus did? Jesus didn't come along and be like, hey, everybody, keep your your heads up. God's got this. Be of good cheer. It's all going to be good. Right? He didn't say that. What did he do? He adapted himself to the situation, to the surroundings. And we get the shortest verse in the Bible that says what? Jesus wept and if anybody could have been chipper at that moment at that time if anybody could have come in with good news and don't worry and be of good cheer and praise God in all circumstances it was Jesus because he was about to do something that nobody anticipated it wouldn't have just been platitudes for him to say that just empty words because he could deliver on those words and he did raise Lazarus from the dead But at the moment, when his friends were in mourning, he mourned with them. What a beautiful act to see our God entering into our sorrow. So let me end with this. I know today's been kind of negative and we looked at the ugly, painful side of friendship. Hopefully we're wiser and better because of it. But I want to end with this. I want to end with probably the most important verse in Proverbs. Proverbs 18, 24. It says here, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Here's a word to the wise today. Your creator, my creator, never intended for any of us to find ultimate happiness and complete satisfaction in any earthly relationship. You're not to find complete happiness in your husband or your wife. You're not supposed to find complete fulfillment as a parent to a child or boyfriend to girlfriend, or even your BFFs, your squad, your your friends for life, you know, you got matching necklaces. You're not supposed to find complete wholeness and happiness in any earthly relationship. And if you've tried, here's what you've discovered. They all leave you yearning for something more because it just doesn't quite feel whole. And it says that they'll come to ruin. Here's the truth about you and me there's coming a day when you're going to come to ruin and I'm going to come to ruin. We call that day death. And no matter how many friends I've got, no matter how they've been there for me in life and how they've been true friends through thick and thin, my friends won't be able to do anything for me on that day and neither will yours. But there is a friend who's closer than a brother. You know what his name is? Jesus. His name is Jesus. And here's what his promise is. He'll be a faithful friend. He's promised he will never leave you, never forsake you. He will be with you to the very end of the age, he says. And so each week, being the people of Jesus, we take the cup and we take the loaf, and in a very tangible way, we remember the price that Jesus paid, the life he lived, the blood he shed, the death he died, the grave he conquered, all these things so that you and I could walk through life and we can say, I'm a friend of God. What a beautiful act of friendship Jesus has done bestowing that title upon us through what he's done for us. So here's what I want to do. Today during our time of communion, I've just got a song that I want to play. It's a song about 20 years old. Some of you might recognize it. Others of you might not. It's a very simple, easy song. And all it says is, Jesus, friend forever. So I want to point you to Jesus during this time and I want you to think about all the ways Jesus has demonstrated himself to be your friend. Everything biblically that qualifies as a biblical friendship, Jesus has met it and exceeded it. And we ask him, Jesus, help me to be the kind of friend to those around me that you have been to me. And if after the time of communion, when we have our time of invitation, if you need prayer in the back porch, you're going to be among friends, and we'd love to pray with you. So why don't you pray with me right now? Father, thank you that you've outlined for us, as a loving father does to his children, about the kind of people who will bring out the best in us in life. And the kind of people, Lord, that if we spend too much time, get too much influence from them, they're going to lead us down a a, a path that does not honor you, and it's going to wreak havoc, and we're going to pay a lot of pain, and our life is going to be radically reduced because of poor friendship choices. Help parents, Lord, to have good conversations with their children, to assess friendships, whether friends are reciprocating or they're selfish whether or not friends are forgiving or they hold a grudge, whether friends are there uh, for them, they're dependable, they're tried and true, and they're trustworthy, Lord. All these things we've talked about today, Lord, help us just to evaluate our friendships around that. Help us to be the kind of friend that you've called us to be and to seek out the kind of friends that are going to help us be better men and women for Jesus. So, Lord, we give you this time right now. Remembering the sacrifice of our faithful savior friend, Jesus. We honor and worship him now. In his name we pray, amen.